thought, the doors of the church are open. You may be seated in the presence of God. At the end of service a few weeks ago, a young lady came to me with a very peculiar and perturbing question. She said, Pastor Wesley, I need you to help me identify my purpose in life. After talking to her for a little while longer, I realized she had just celebrated her 25th birthday and wanted to be about her father's business, realizing that the best years of her life were now ahead of her. She realized what too few Christians do, and that is that everything you can do is not what you're created to do. Just because you're good at it does not mean that God has ordained that to be the purpose for which he brought you into this life. In a real sense, all of us ought to come to a point where we want to know, why did God bring me to this place? Why has God gifted me? Why has God groomed me? Why did God allow my mother and my daddy to hook up and meet up and I become the product of their consummation? Why am I here? Began to do a little biblical research and would suggest to you that even though we are all gifted with different graces, even though we are all talented for different tasks, even though we are all anointed for different assignments, the reality is, is that there is one universal purpose for why all of us breathe in the first place. Although we have different things that we ought to accomplish in this life, the reality is, is that biblically there is but one purpose for why God placed us on planet Earth, and that is simply this. We were born, created, shaped, and made to worship God. At the end of the day, God does everything God does in our life to bring us to a place where we may learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. As a matter of fact, God breathes life into you that with every breath you may exhale and exalt him for everything that has breath ought to praise the Lord. God blesses you with stuff you did not earn, don't deserve, couldn't manufacture, couldn't make, and if the truth be told, really shouldn't even have. But God gives them to you that one day you may wake up on the corner of grace and goodness and say, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits unto me? God wakes you up every morning with your rusty, dusty self as unworthy as you are that you might say, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Everything God does, he does to make us worship. That's what Jesus gets involved with with that woman in John chapter 4 at the well when he says to her that now is the time and God is searching for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. We were made to worship God. And if you understand that the primary purpose of humanity is to reflect glory back to God, to worship him, to give to him adoration and praise, That will begin to help you understand why God is so specific about decency and decorum when it comes to a house that bears his holy name. If you read in the Bible, you'll find that at no point in time is God ever apathetic about what ought to be going down in church. As a matter of fact, any building that bears his name from the sanctuary to the tabernacle to the tent of meeting to the very church itself, God is always specific about what ought to be going down and who ought to be doing what and how things ought to be transpiring in his holy house because the house of God is the primary vehicle for worship. If we were created to worship, the house of God where we gather is the primary place where we come to worship the true and the living God. Can I teach for just a moment? You need to understand that worship is the theological corollary of the doctrine of incarnation. 
Incarnation says that we have a God who comes down to us. That no matter where we find ourselves in life, God is always downwardly mobile. There ought to be a little wave of a witness there because you know you've been in some mighty low places in life, but yet God was so good that he showed up in the very midst of the bottom pit of life. He is a God that says you can't run from me. You can't hide from me. If you make your bed in hell, guess what, baby? I'll be there in the morning to wake you up because I come down. But worship, catch this, y'all, is not God coming down to us. Worship is our attempt to be lifted into the realm of the presence of God. There's one author who says that worship is being elevated from the realm of the sacred to the reality, from the realm of the secular to the reality of the sacred. That when I come to worship, I come to be lifted above the trivialities of my Monday through Saturday experience. When I come to worship, I come to have my mind elevated and my soul encouraged and and my mind fed with the word of God. In a true sense, y'all, worship is, is, is an elevator with an up button that when I come into church I don't come to be taken down lower when I come to worship I expect to be elevated I I don't need you to hate on me in church I get that in the street I don't need to be lied on in church I get that in the street when I come to worship I come expecting that something is going to happen in this few moments that I am here that elevate my mindset to take me to a new place of God, to take me into the realm of God where I worship him in beauty and in holiness. In worship, we are elevated into the presence of God. Yeah. Let me tell you why that's so real. Because we now worship in a generation that's lost its reverence for the holy things of God. Generation that treats church like any old thing in any old way. You, you don't believe me? Just look at what some folk do in church. I was raised in a generation where there was some stuff you didn't do in the vicinity of a church because you were just afraid that the God of all heaven would strike you down with thunder and lightning. But now, people do some of anything in church. If you don't watch what people do in church, just watch what some folks say in church. Don't look at nobody but some of the nastiest, meanest, ugliest folk you never met in your life. Go to church every Sunday, amen, somebody. You, you know some trifling church folk. You know some low-down church folk. You know some lying church folk. You know some foul-mouthed church folk. You know some church folk that lift up holy hands and drop it like it's hot at the same time because folk will do something, anything in church. And if you read in the Bible, you'll see, therefore, that whenever the Israelites were far in their heart from God, It was always made manifest in the condition of the house of God. So when God wants to institute religious revival, the very first thing God does was get his holy house in order. Because God understood that if the house of God is in order, then the family can be in order. And if the family's in order, then the community can be in order. That it starts at the church. And so when God ushers in these great men like Josiah and Jehoshaphat and Joash to the kingdom, the very first thing they have to do is get the house of God in order because there's no chance for the nation if the house of God ain't right. And so that's what we're introduced to here in 2 Chronicles. This young brother named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a young man. He comes to reign over the throne of Israel. And the very first thing he's got to do is get the house of God in order 
so that the people can walk right with God, that God might work a great work in the community. So God says to Hezekiah, get my house in order. Now to understand about Hezekiah, you need to know a few things. Let me teach this real quick. Chronicles, if you read it, it's going to sound like you've been there and done that if you read Samuel and Kings. Chronicles is just a retelling of the same information from Samuel and Kings, but it is written on the other side of the exile. And one of the things the writers of the Chronicles try to do is clean up the history of Israel and edit out some of that information that we just don't talk about. Y- y'all, y'all know when you get to the family gatherings and you really don't talk about whose baby daddy that really is and about the uncle y'all really don't talk about. He just kind of sit in the back. That, that's what Chronicles is. It's a cleaned up version of what went down in Samuel and Kings and one of the things Chronicles cleans up is telling you who Hezekiah's daddy really was Chronicles tells us that he is a son of David no he is an heir of David but his daddy's name was Ahaz now y'all may not know who Ahaz is so let me drop this on you real quick Ahaz is the worst king that Israel has ever had. Ahaz has led the people further away from God than anyone that ever stood in his place before. And when Hezekiah becomes king, he's got to fix everything that Ahaz has messed up. So the Bible says when this young Hezekiah comes to reign over Israel and is put in charge of the things of God, that he comes in to fix the house of God. And notice there are three things that he's got to fix that are broken in order for God to truly be worshipped in his house. Number one, the Bible says that when he came, he had to repair the doors to the temple. Now, you may not know why that's so important, so can I just try to unravel it for you for a moment? He refixes the doors of the temple because when his dad Ahaz was king, his daddy had destroyed every door that led into the temple except the door for the Levites and the priests. Now, you've got to stay with me. In the temple, there were more than just one set of doors. There were multiple entrances into the place of God. But you could not just walk through any door. The door you went through was predicated on your gender, your level of economic ability, and even your walk with God. So there was a door for the women. There was a door for the Gentiles who wanted to watch. There was a door for the Pharisees. There were a door for the Levites and the scribes. There were doors based upon where you were in your walk with God. So when when Ahaz is king... He destroys every door except the door for the Levites and the priests. Which meant that at any given moment, the only people who could get into worship were those that looked like Levites and act like priests. I'm coming to where you are. I'll be there in a minute. Just give me, I'm around the corner. That, that it wasn't just anybody who could get in the house of God. The only folk who could get in the house of God were the folk that met the requirements of priestly perfection and Levite holiness. And so in order to get in worship, you had to act like you were a Levite or act like you were a priest. And Hezekiah comes and says, I can't worship with folk that got to pretend that they are a priest and act like they are a Levite and can't be real about who they really are when they get in church because all of us got to be so sanctified and holy that we can't be real. Hezekiah said, listen, I can't worship with folk 
that spells sin with no I in the middle. I can't worship with folk that act like they've always done right and always been sister saved and brother Bible. I can't worship with folk that speak like they've been talking in tongues since they were six days old and always been sold out for Jesus. I've got to open some doors so that the real folk who need to be in the presence of God can come into the house of God and be accepted for who they are and don't have to pretend to be what they are not. Have you ever been in a worship setting where everybody act like they've done everything right all their lives? As God says, listen, if we're going to worship, I need to be in an environment where folk can be real about who they really are. Uh, let me see if I explain it like this because some of y'all stuck on slow. Um, um, I was raised on the south side of Chicago in a, 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 little, uh, a little, little suburb called the Gehetto. Uh, y'all, y'all know about this little suburb on the south side called the Gehetto, and uh, I found out that folk from my side of town were very creative. We, we may not have had a lot of money, uh, but we knew how to get things done. Um, and let me, well, the f- first time I, I figured this out was uh, back on Halloween in second grade. Halloween or second grade, I wanted to be Superman for, uh, for Halloween, uh, but Mama said we couldn't afford the Superman Halloween costume. Uh, so she got me the mask. You, you remember the mask with the rubber band that you just staple and, and put over your face? Mama got me the mask, and she bought uh, a, a red towel that she got a big safety pin and put around my neck. And I didn't know no better. I went to school as Superman. I had the mask, and I had a red towel tied around my neck. When Mama picked me up from school, I still had the towel on, but I put the mask in my backpack. Mama said, Superman, where's your mask? I said, Mama, I had the mask on, uh, but it got hot in that mask. Uh, I couldn't talk in that mask. I couldn't play in that mask. I couldn't really breathe in that mask. And at some point, even though I was Superman, I had to take the mask off so I could just breathe and be who I really am. And every now and then, there's some folk that come into the house of God for one reason only, because I got to stop pretending I'm Superman, and I've got to take my mask off and be real about who I really am. Is there anybody here that came to church just to be real? I don't want to pretend. I don't want to fake. I don't want to act like I got it going on all the time. I need a place where I can admit that life is beating me up, that my marriage is on the rocks, that my children are driving me crazy, that my money is running out on me and I need a place where I can be real and folk will accept me for who I really am. I need a place where I can truly worship God as I am. And so I came by today to ask this question. I don't mean to disturb y'all as you begin your church conference. But are the doors of this church really open? Is there a door for that brother with bagging pants and tattoos over every inch of his arm, but he's trying to find a right walk with God? Is there a door for the sister that just found out she's HIV and needs somebody to hug her without fear of getting infected? Is there a door? For the brother that just got out of jail, he's still strung out but trying to walk right with God. Is there a door for the woman that just got divorced and is tired of folk judging her? Is there a door for the brother that's got a Bible in his hand but still got some weed in his house? Is there a door for the folk that come and really need to be in the presence of God? Are the doors of the church really open? This guy says, "I, I, I got to fix the doors. I can't worship in an environment where everybody pretends to be what they are not. 
But watch the second problem he has, and this one gets deep. This gets deep. I hope you can see this. He invites these people in. And the Bible says that they come bringing sacrifices that they're going to offer to the Lord. And the sacrifices that they offer, these rams, these bulls, these lambs, these doves, have to be sacrificed in order for there to be atonement to walk right with God. The problem is that the sacrifices they brought were greater than the number of priests who could handle it. Stay with me. And it's not because there weren't enough priests on the roll. Here's the problem. The number of priests who were supposed to be ready for worship had not consecrated themselves in time and were disqualified from dealing with the sacrifices. So what the people brought was greater than the priest's ability because there were too many priests that had not got holy in time for worship. So worship is in jeopardy because the priests aren't consecrated. You're going to catch a cement. That, 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 That God may not be worshiped this week because the men who were supposed to walk holy in God's sight had not gotten holy enough before the people got there and now worship is in jeopardy because the priests weren't consecrated. Let me tell you why that's so real. Because, Pastor, we worship in a generation of saints that cannot distinguish between the consecration of their pastor and Jesus Christ. So when this generation finds out that the priest may not be as consecrated as you want him to be, when this generation finds out that the pastor is a man just as any other man and that maybe he has the same problems that other people have and now people begin to judge their walk with God based on the holiness of the pastor. So if the pastor slips and stumbles, if the pastor has a bad week, if the pastor ain't as perfect as you need him to be now, you're packing up and leaving church and can't worship God because you invested your walk with God in the walk of a man of God can I preach in this place that is the danger of things like that Eddie Long scandal and why the enemy is always trying to attack the priests of the house because he knows if I can just cause him to slip and stumble if I can cause him to have a bad day that there are those who are so connected to God through the pastor that when the pastor is not perfect they're going to give up on God that's why I tell my church all the time, don't put me on a pillar, put me on a prayer altar. Pray for me. Pray that the Lord keep my mind right. Pray that Sister Boom Boom don't catch my eye every Sunday. Pray that the money doesn't lead me away from true integrity to the word of God. Pray that I can walk right in the sight of God because I'm just a man. And every now and then men and women will stumble and fall. And you've got to have a connection to God that is greater than just one man. Greater than just one woman. Greater than just one church. Greater than just one musician. Greater than just one praise team. I'm connected to God through Jesus. That's why the Bible says that if your earthly priest fails you, the good news is we've got another high priest according to the order of Melchizedek 
who was tempted in all points like we, but yet without sin, who is passed through the holy of holies and now sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for y'all don't know that big mama used to put like this. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Uh, and if the pastor ain't right, my Jesus will get me. If the deacons aren't right, Jesus will hold me. If the choir is not right, Jesus will make a way. So here's what the Bible says, and I'm about done, that even when the priest wasn't right, there were some Levites who stepped up and helped with the sacrifice. It wasn't their job, but they said, we're going to do it anyway. It's not our assignment, but we're going to do what we got to do to make sure God is worshipped. Because in every house, there need to be some Levites who are so committed to the worship of God that it doesn't matter who's holding the microphone, doesn't matter who's leading the praise team, doesn't matter what Sunday it is, when they begin to think about how good God has been to them and how the Lord has blessed them and the Lord has kept them. They don't need anybody with a mic to worship and praise God. They do it because God's been that good to them. Okay, 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 okay. Some folks still in second. Here it is. Uh, uh, Pastor, when I first started... Uh, at my church, uh, as every pastor, I had to invite uh, some brothers in to preach who I kind of owed some favors to. You, you, let them just be real. Uh, everybody we invite ain't because the Holy Spirit put them on our heart. Uh, we got some dues to pay for brothers that made ways for us. And so I invited one of these brothers from the church, and, uh, yeah, he was bad. Uh, he, he was just bad. Uh, it, it was obvious in the first five minutes that this was going to be a horrible sermon. Uh, his exegesis was off, uh, his theology was skewed, and his style was irritating. Uh, his exegesis off, his theology skewed, his style was just irritating. And, and after about 20 minutes, everybody started giving the I wish he'd be done look. You, y'all, know, y'all know that look in church where folks start looking down at their watch wondering when this is going to be over. Because um, his exegesis was off, his theology was skewed, and his style was irritating. Uh, and when he got to what was the close of his sermon, everybody was thankful to God that we'd come to the end of this excruciating endeavor. Uh, and one of the sisters in the back of our church, Sister Wanza, got up and she started hollering while this brother was preaching. Uh, and the more she hollered, the more he thought he was doing a better job. And so he started going a little bit longer. Now, now the saints are giving her the sit down and shut up. Look, you, you know that. Look, you sit down and shut up because you're making him preach longer. And we're trying to get out of here. And the worse he got, the louder she shouted. The be- I mean, the brother just went down and she went up. And she kept on hollering and got happy. And, and after the sermon was done, I sent a word to the ushers. I said, y'all tell Sister Wanza to come up to my office. I I need to talk to her because she ain't never shout like that for me when I was preaching. And I I need to understand what's going on. And so she she invited herself on up to the office and she sat down. I said, now, Sister Wanza, let let me be honest with you. You, you. You and I know that that sermon wasn't good. You know his exegesis was off, his theology was skewed, and his style was irritating, and and you kept on shouting and getting happy no matter how bad that sermon was. I need to understand why you were preaching, why you were uh, shouting while he was preaching. And this is what she said to me. She said, Reverend, just because he didn't do his job doesn't mean I wasn't going to do my job. 
he may not have been preaching a good word, but when I thought about how good God was to me and when I began to think about the ways God has made and the doors God has opened, even if he wasn't doing his job, I was going to do my job. And I just came by to find out, do I have any Levites in the house who can declare it doesn't matter who's preaching the sermon, doesn't matter what the worship is about. When I begin to think about how good God has been to me and the ways God has made in my life and the doors God has opened for me, it doesn't matter who's at the mic I'm going to worship God I'm going to praise God I'm going to lift up holy hands because I know that God is worthy to be praised okay 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 I'm 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 done I'm I'm old school Baptist I give you three points he opened the doors of the church Uh, number two he allowed the Levites to help the priests but let me give you this third thing and I'm done the Bible says that they invited all of these Israelites from Ephraim and Manasseh and Zebulon and Issachar these outlying tribes And when they got to Jerusalem, Hezekiah realized we got another problem. That these people who have come have not celebrated the Passover at the regular time. And so watch what Hezekiah does. This is deep. He allows them to celebrate the Passover in the wrong month. Now, now you got to catch this. They celebrate the Passover in a time when they wasn't supposed to. It wasn't Passover season. But they celebrated the Passover. And as Caius says, the reason we've got to do it in the wrong time is because some of you haven't done it as you ought to have done it. Oh, I'm coming right there. That, That some of you have come a mighty long way and have not paused to remember how God brought you over that way. And so even though it's not the correct, politically correct time to give God the Passover praise, I need to stop right now and remind you that we ain't always been where we are. I got to remind you that we used to be slaves in Egypt. I got to remind you that we got to the Red Sea and didn't know how we were going to make it. I need to remind you that we wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. I need to remind you that God brought bread down from heaven. remind you that God poured water out of a rock need to remind you of everything that God did for us so even though it's not the appropriate time and it may bother some folk for us to praise God right now there's some of us that need to remember how far the Lord has brought us and how many ways the Lord has made and how many doors the Lord has opened and how many prayers the Lord has answered and how many healings the Lord has brought and how many bills the Lord has paid and how many mountains the Lord has moved and when you think about all that God has done how dare you sit still and say it's not praise time you ought to worship God right there because you know if it had not been for the Lord on your side if God hadn't made a way if the Lord hadn't opened doors you wouldn't be where you are right now I've got to go. Let me let me tell my last story, make it clear. I was driving the other day, getting ready to take my son to football practice, and we got behind a school bus. And the school bus had a bumper sticker that started to minister to me. The bumper sticker said, Do not follow too closely. Bus stops randomly. Y- 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 it got me, it got me, it got me. Do not follow too closely. Because the bus stops randomly. Holy Spirit began to talk to me. Yes, he did. The bus was trying to tell me something. Don't, don't get too close to me. 
because without warning, I just may stop where I am and open up my door. Don't, don't, don't get too close because without warning, I, I may do something that you didn't expect. Don't, don't get too close to me because you really don't know what I'm going to do when I'm in my mode. And that's what you ought to put on the back of yourself whenever you walk into the house of God. If worshiping God bothers you, don't get too close to me. If praising God gets on your nerve, don't sit next to me. If me lifting up hands is going to bother you, you might want to sit next to somebody else because at any given moment when I begin to think of the goodness of God and I begin to meditate on the grace of God and I think about the ways God has made excuse me when my hands go up excuse me when I begin to lift my legs because God's been that good to me and I'll praise him right here goodbye saints but there ought to be a couple of folk that ain't ashamed to give God a Passover praise because you know what the Lord passed over you. Uh, some things that should have happened passed over you. Some things you brought on yourself passed over you. Uh, some things you did not go through was because God had his hand on you and I'll bless his name. The doors of the church are really open. That doesn't matter what you've been, who you've been, and who you were bending with. God says, I'm opening a new door in your life. And you can come as you are, and here's the great news, you won't stay that way. That you come in to receive a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a pastor, not a priest, but the Lord Jesus Christ. When you really receive him, you'll find yourself giving God praise at times. Folks say it ain't praise in time. Can I tell you, praise and worship ain't just when someone's on, on the keyboard and there's a team of folks. And that, that praise and worship ought to occur anytime you got a memory and a mirror. You can look at yourself and remember where the Lord has brought you from. That ought to be a good time to praise the Lord right there. When you think about how the Lord saved your soul, you can praise him right there. When you think about how he's changed your life, you can praise him right there. I want to pray with you today, and if there be anyone in this place who desires to come into a new walk of life, we want to introduce you to the man that will make it happen. His name is Jesus. Pastor Lomax is just a servant, but he'll point you to the real Savior. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will turn your life around. He will open up doors for you that you didn't even know existed, relationships that you need in life. If you're here today and you're saying, well, you know what, I'm already, I believe in Jesus Christ. I know the Lord is real. But are you a member of a church where you're going and growing? Don't let the world fool you and make you think that you don't need church. You, you may not need church to get saved, but you sure need church to stay saved. If you want to grow... If you want to grow, you need a church where you can be fed a healthy diet. Listen, listen, if you eat at McDonald's all the time, you're going to be out of shape. They don't give you a holistic diet. But in this church, you will receive all that you need to grow healthy in your walk with God. Pastoral covering, relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God, opportunities to serve and use your gifts. You need all of that to grow the way God has called you. I'm going to pray, and if there be anyone in this place today who desires to walk into that new season,